0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, so this week we're going to be going over how we lead within the home. So we see the first thing that we should understand about leadership within the home is that the leader is to be a provider. The Bible elevates women to a place of honor and in turn gives the man the responsibility to provide for her. And we see in uh, that First Timothy passage is up on the screen right now, First Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The idea of providing for our families is fundamental, fundamental even to unbelievers. That's what we're seeing Paul write in this passage here. What Paul is saying in this 1 Timothy passage is that if unbelievers can follow this rule by providing for their families, then how much more should a believer who has been commanded by God obey it? So we see that unbelievers are fully understanding this. This is why there's so many unbelieving fathers that are workaholics. They're trying to find fulfillment within that job, but on top of that, in the back of their mind is always this understanding that they have to provide for their family. If unbelievers are doing that, have that in their mind have that understanding in front of them that this is what they're called to do at some level they may deny that it comes from God but at some level they understand this is what they're supposed to be doing then when we read this in the word how much more should we be obeying it we fall often into that trap of making it making our workaholism something that uh, is good because we're just trying to provide for our family So don't fall into that trap Where we kind of swing that pendulum Just way too far But we need to understand that this is what's commanded by us We also see this in Genesis 2 right? So if we go to Genesis 2 I don't have this on the screen But if we go to Genesis 2 where we understand That Adam was commanded To do what with the garden Does anyone remember? Yep Keep and cultivate the garden. So he was given a command to work before the fall. That was to keep, cultivate the garden. That's what he was called to do. Then we see Eve come into it and his, his job doesn't change. What we see is that Eve is added into that. So Eve is added into this relationship that he has now on an earthly level. But he still has that responsibility of keeping and cultivating. But now he's keeping and cultivating not for himself, but also for Eve. Does that make sense? So the first thing we do here is that we are called to be a provider within the home. Then, although some women work, and some are the, actually sometimes the primary breadwinner, what we must understand about Scripture is that this principle... Hold on, I just lost my place. I'll, let me start that over. <laughs> although some women work and some... Are the primary breadwinner. What we must understand about the scriptural principle is that when ma- a man is present in the home, he is tasked with the primary responsibility to provide for his family. So, men, my question is: What was our curse? Would someone mind opening up to Genesis three seventeen real quick? I got it? All right, go ahead, Bill. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all of it. Eat of it all the days of your life. So what was our curse? Our work was going to be made harder. Yes, our work was going to be made harder. Within our curse did it say that working was now out of the picture. It doesn't say that. So what we see is that we're called to work, that we're still commanded to work, that the command that was given to us in Genesis 2, which was a which was good, that was good for us, we found not fulfillment in it, we found fulfillment in God, but we also weren't chasing after fulfillment in it, we just enjoyed it. So we still have that command carried over to Genesis 3 where we are called to work, just work is going to be harder now so we don't try to find fulfillment like we went over in that first week of class. So we have been given the task to provide for our family. If we are not, then what we are actually trying to do is push our curse onto our spouse. Does that make sense? So if we have just decided that we're just going to Try to live easy. Just hang out on the couch all day long, watch whatever sports we want, watch whatever. And watching sports is not bad in itself. I enjoy watching sports. But if that's all that we've dedicated our time to and we do that and not provide for our family, we choose to do that instead of provide for our family, somebody still has to provide. There's still going to be something, we're going to still have the same needs what we see is that we're actually deciding we're just going to be lazy hang out and we're just going to push that curse onto our spouse she's just going to be the one that has to do this and that's really devastating if you think about it because us as men cannot take the curse from the woman in any way the curse for the woman is to bear children we can't do that so if we're now abandoning or trying to abandon our command by providing for our family, put that onto our wife, they have a double curse that they're trying to take on now. Because one of them was ours and we're now just transferring that over. In that book, The Home Team, Clint Archer says the woman's curse is increased in pain of bearing children, and the man's curse is the sweat or is the sweet the sweaty personal work of earning bread for the family. Men and women had different curses to bear. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. Some occupation is necessary to happiness. Lazy people would not enjoy Eden itself. A perfect man is a working man. So if we're just sitting on the couch being lazy, we're trying to push off that providing portion onto somebody else. It's not You're not going to find any kind of joy or fulfillment in that, actually. I mean, you might for the, the, the minute, you might for like that game, but if you just continue that on, eventually you just start feeling horrible. And that's what Spurgeon's hinting at there, that it, it takes some kind of work for happiness, because that's what God is ingrained in us. So even a, a lazy man would not enjoy Eden itself, is what Spurgeon says there, and that harkens back to Genesis 2. If Adam would have been lazy, he wouldn't have enjoyed Eden. Well, he would have been sinning, so we have a whole theological element of that to to dig through. But if Adam would have been lazy, he wouldn't have enjoyed Eden, because he was commanded by God to enjoy it by cultivating it and keeping it. Some homes might have wives or mothers that are the primary breadwinner. We already went over that a little bit. That does not free us as men from our responsibilities. To not work hard is to damage our own souls and does not mirror to our children what, biblic- what it biblically means to be a man. So if you do have children in the home and your children are seeing daddy just be lazy, daddy just not fulfilling his responsibility, what they're really seeing is that daddy just, he doesn't care about the word. If we understand that this is the command from God, our creator, and we're choosing to actively go against it. What that tells our children is that this doesn't matter. Does that make sense? Any questions so far? So the next thing that we're gonna go over is the leader as protector. Does anybody need that? I forgot to flip the slide on that one. There's your two other blanks. that. So the next one is leader as protector. Leader as protector can actually take a couple of different forms, and we're going to go over both of those. We're going to have two different ways that we are leaders as protectors. So we see in Ephesians 5, 18 through 29, in the same way the husband should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ does the church. The first aspect of a leader as a protector is what you think of whenever you think of protection, and that's that physical protection. Men are, by design, stronger and larger than women. There's always going to be some kind of exception to the rule, so don't raise your hand and say, what about this? But by design, predominantly throughout all of humankind, Men are stronger and larger than women. We actually see in the Journal of Applied Psychology that men, on average, have 26% more skeletal muscle mass than women. And then on average, women have 40% less upper body strength and 33% less lower body strength than men. We as men have been designed specifically for specific purposes by God. Women have been designed other ways. I'm not gonna go down the path that every single one of you are thinking of right now. That's for another time in another class. But it's just the truth. Men are stronger than women for a specific reason. This is one of the specific reasons that we can physically protect. Most of the time, the role of protector is going to be less than dramatic, especially in our country. Like, There's not going to be a lot of instances where we're going to have to physically protect our spouse or our family. There might be from time to time, but let's be honest. Most of the time, it's not going to be as dramatic as pops into your mind whenever I tell you you're going to physically protect your family. So what are some practical ways in which we, as men in the home and leaders in the home, will physically protect our family? One way that I thought of was making your home safe for your children making sure that your home is actually safe for your little ones to run around I can think of you know we have four we've got one that's ten one that's three so we've had little children in our home for a very long time and of all that time we've never had a coffee table I like the thought of having a coffee table in our living room but I know if I put a coffee table in my living room Charlotte and Jeremy are going to have just destroyed heads constantly. <laughs> that's just a part of making sure that the house is safe for them. Another way that you can think of physical protection that's not like beating somebody up is making sure you know who's watching your, ch- your children. So like if you're going out on a date night or something like that, you want to make sure you know who it is that's actually watching your children. That's a way of physically protecting your children, making sure your children are not abused whenever somebody else is watching them. That sounds dramatic, but that's just one kind of practical way in which you can make sure you're physically protecting your family. Another way that I thought of is making sure your family is protected when you're out of town. So sometimes I have to travel for work. So one of the things I'll do is I'll usually text my father-in-law because he lives you know, 10 minutes down the road from me and say, Hey, I'm going to be out of town, just letting you know. And then he knows that he can check in on Jess and the family from time to time. Sometimes I'll text David when I know that... um, Kevin, my father-in-law, is going to be out of town. I said, hey, I'm going to be out of town. Can you just, you know, just have that in your mind? Just making sure that they're physically protected as well when you're out of town in some way. <laughs> <laughs> that just made me not want to text you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so those are all just general ways that you can think of to, to protect your family. Another thing that came to mind whenever I was writing this class is who, who usually has the responsibility for crying baby duty in your house whenever you have little ones in the house. In most homes, it's probably going to be the wife. Sometimes it'll be the husband, but usually, let's be honest, we don't wake up through any of that. (laughs) So usually it's going to be the wife. However, who has the responsibility for bumping the night duty? If you hear something strange happen in the house that you know isn't right, who has the responsibility of that? (laughs) <laughs> the dog usually, yeah. yeah. We first moved into our house, we had a ninety pound black lab mix and so he doesn't, he he never barked. It was the weirdest thing, like the dog never barked and one night we were laying in bed, kid or at the time we only had Reagan, so Reagan had already gone to sleep. I think we were upstairs watching a show and all of a sudden we heard like that big like from the chest deep bark and I was like, Oh that's not good. Dog <laughs> dog never barks and now he's like aggressively barking. And so Jeff grabbed onto me. Says something's downstairs. Like, okay, give me a second. So, collected myself, went downstairs, kind of creeped down the stairs, and did that like weird, like look around the staircase, (laughs) look just to see if anybody's in the living room. Nobody's in the living room, and he is standing at that back door, looking at our back window, just barking like crazy. I was like, man, what is going on? I'm pretty sure that like I had a little one of those little tiny Louisville slugger bats. Like this is not this is going to make whoever is here just angry. It's not going to do anything. So I walked to the back door. Thankfully, it was just like six deer just in our backyard, just hanging out, eating. funniest thing about the entire story is the fact that there was three or four of the deer laying in the grass and every time, Rockney, our dog would bark, they would just look up at him. We wouldn't even run, just look at him and just go back to whatever they were doing. They were not scared of this dog at all. Then he starts yelling my name. Yeah. So I'm like, oh great. He's he's getting mugged downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) But, men, if there's a bump in the night, and you're reaching over to grab your wife to get her to go look for whatever it is, you're wrong. It is your responsibility to get up and get killed first. Let's be honest. It is, it is all seriousness, it is our responsibility. This is what God has designed us to be, is the protector of our family. We should be the ones getting up and doing the bump of the night responsibilities. So the second thing that we go over as far as protection and this one's almost, almost to me, just because of our, we live in a very safe <laughs> society. No matter what you hear on the news, the likelihood of you being mugged in Evansville, Indiana, is less than zero. Like, we're pretty safe. So physical responsibility is not going to be as prominent in our lives as this next aspect, which is the spiritual protection of our families. So as far as spiritual protection for our families, this also takes two different forms that we can really break it down into. Just like protection takes two forms, this takes two forms. The first of the two forms is encouragement. We need to make sure that we're guarding our families from things that are harmful to them in spiritual ways. So things that pop into my mind as far as protection in this way is making sure we know what our wives and our children are watching on TV or what they're reading or what they're looking at online. That online one's probably the, the most dangerous that we have right now. I think it was uh, John's, if you ever listen to the Breakpoint podcast, it's a pretty good podcast, it's a worldview, biblical worldview podcast. But Stone Treat, I was listening to, they have an hour-long one every Friday, and he was talking about um, they are going over a new bill being passed somewhere. I don't even think it's in our country. But uh, about cell phones. And the thing that was brought up is whenever you get a new cell phone, that is the most unlocked your cell phone will be. So, like, there's no restrictions that come straight out of the box. And so one thing that was mentioned is that if we were to take cell phones, make it so that cell phone companies have to give out new cell phones the most locked, it would be the best protection for children. Because then you have to actively go through your phone and unlock things instead of go back through your phone and lock things. And they were going over that, and one of the things that Stone Treat said is his daughter, he has a teenage daughter, does not allow his teenage daughter to have Instagram. His teenage daughter is constantly asking, why can't I have Instagram? His, his response is always, I know that you won't go looking for danger, but that thing is always looking to destroy you. So as far as spiritual protection, the first thing that we're going to go over in the two forms is encouragement. We need to encourage our wives and our children to actively pursue things that will help them grow theologically and spiritually. So whenever you think theologically and spiritually, theologically is that high view, high study of God. Spiritually is looking out and understanding their own souls and how that connects to that theological side. That's what we mean between theology and spiritually. So we need to be making sure that we are encouraging our wives and our children to actively pursue the things that will encourage that theology and spirituality within them. Yes, we should protect those in our home from things that will hinder them from growing, but we also need to make sure that we're encouraging them in the things that will actually help them grow. One way that we often stumble is that we're constantly alert and aware for the dangers around us, and all we're doing is trying to focus in on those things. Like, no, you can't watch that show. No, you can't read this book. No, you can't look at this site online. You're, you're, which is good because we're protecting them. But what we're not doing is also encouraging them. But how about you read this book? How about you watch this show? Like, encourage them towards things that are good. Don't just take things away from them that are bad. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it takes time to be prepared. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, so, go ahead. Along those lines, like, if your kids come to you and, and ask you to watch a show, don't just automatically say yes or no. Take the time to look up, I think there's a good side that. What do we use, plugged in? Plugged in. And then there's another one, too. But you can look through it and say, and explain to them why maybe they're not allowed to watch the show or what's in that that we are not wanting them to view um and then that kind of gives like a more understanding and it doesn't just harden them to well mom and dad won't let me watch this Mm -hmm. so the other one is common sense media yes common sense media is one plugged in i think is through Um, folks on the family one thing that's good about what's that movie guide is another movie guide okay Movie guide, plugged in, common sense. Plugged in, what I liked about Plugged In is at the bottom of it, they will have like a synopsis of like why they rated it, but they'll like explain like the theological things behind it of why it's not good. And they're really strict too. There's even been a couple of shows where like they've rated it. I'm like, hmm, okay, like that's, that's good, but okay. <laughs> so Plugged In's a good one. I haven't been to, I think I've been to Common Sense before. I haven't been, what was that movie? Movie Guide I haven't been to that one, but um I did have another thought as you we were going, I can't think of it now. It's off my notes, so yeah, it'll come back to me like ten minutes after class is over. But. So what we should be yeah. <laughs> just leaving your cell phones and all mass text to everybody. This was my thought. So what we should be doing is viewing it as Paul's put-offs and put-ons. If we just protect and correct our families, they will replace those things with just another wrong thing. It's our sin nature that that wants us to go to that wrong thing in the first place. So if we go to our kids and we say, hey, no, we're not going to watch that show, but we don't encourage them in another direction or we don't give them that understanding of why, um, they're just going to replace it with the next bad thing. That void doesn't just stay there. It's going to be filled with something. We need to make sure we're filling it with good things and good things of the Lord. They need to guide. They need the things that we're taking away. We also need to make sure that they need to be guided towards things that will fulfill them correctly. Any questions on any of that? Yes. Um in terms of how a husband is to kind of be involved in those decisions that his wife is making online, how does what does that actually look like? Um, and then that's my first question. And then the second question is like, um, in a real life scenario, say where that's not uncommon, where a woman is spending maybe too much time on social media, she suddenly feels discontent with her life. Mm-hmm life should be more than this i should be getting more satisfaction out of you know like how does a husband deal with that type of situation so the first question was how kind of the husband-wife relationship and the the child to or the parent-to-child relationship is is easier to maintain because again we have that fiat or that federal authority over our children so we can just take the phone and put whatever password we want on all that kind of stuff but whenever it's between a husband and a wife um, how do you practically go about making sure that we're monitoring that and fulfilling that that's is that right that the right okay yeah you should always be yeah I mean there's and then do wives want to with their husband I don't yeah I have a screenshot no I'm just kidding <laughs> It, it, there should be a constant encouragement to be open I mean you're you're one flesh um, so making sure like Jess has all my passwords except for work you know, I don't think she wants to watch freight move across the screen so <laughs> she doesn't really need that but she has all my passwords on my phone she can um, get on my phone anytime she has all my passcodes all that kind of stuff she can get onto my phone at any time um which also gives her all access to all my social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that the problem that we run into is not necessarily the monitoring as much as just the constant focus on the social media. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not necessarily, hey, let's go back and look at what you've looked at. I think it's more of, let's look at how much time you looked at it. Like, if we can pull ourselves away from the social media more, if we can delete social media altogether, i say that with having Facebook. But if we can delete the social media altogether, that would be a much more beneficial thing for everybody. Because it's if you're Yes, you need to be monitoring in the fact that like you're open and honest with your your spouse through everything you're doing, but most of the time you're gonna catch it after the fact. That's the problem, is like if you're just going through the browsing history, if you're going through the social media post or you're going through whatever on social media you're not going to catch it. You're going to react to it. Like it's always going to be after the fact. So it's more of I'm trying to think of how to word this in my mind being op- op- open and honest with your spouse and helping them and helping yourself actually watch how much you're watching and being in your phone probably i mean the most dangerous thing in our lives is never going to be a gun it's going to be the phone that's in our pocket like that's going to be the most dangerous and detrimental thing to our lives and then what was the second question first and foremost is always take it back to the word um i was actually going to add this into the lesson but i didn't have time really to add it in but like even within what we're talking about now we're going to talk about here in a minute like i think the book of ecclesiastes is a wonderful tool to go through because the entire what is it first 10 11 chapters is i tried to find fulfillment in this i tried to do this i tried to do this and every single one ends in failure what is it? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All of it just turns to nothing. But at the very end, we see Solomon shifting gears and saying, it was only when I focused on the Lord and did things for the Lord that I realized that that's where we find that fulfillment." So when we're our wives and honestly husbands are constantly on social media and find discontentment in social media, one we need to try to pull that social media out. Just you know, pluck out the right eye type of thing. Just cut it off completely once you're off of that your life's going to be more fulfilled because you're not trying to constantly live through somebody else's life but taking your spouse to the word to make sure that you're constantly reminding them they're claiming Christ you're not going to find fulfillment in Instagram you're not going to find fulfillment in Facebook the only way you're going to find fulfillment is in the Lord and this is where we find fulfillment in the Lord and take them to some of those verses that you know tell us that Ecclesiastes is a great one it's there's nothing new under the sun. Everything, even on Instagram, everything that we see that everyone's trying to like strive for, Solomon probably talks about in Ecclesiastes and how it didn't fulfill. He took it to the extreme in that book, admits to taking it to the extreme in that book, and it always ends in vanity of vanity. All is vanity. It means nothing. So, next one. Where are we at here? Oh, another way that we can, uh, I forgot about this, another way that we can, or a practical way that we can spiritually protect our family is through the spiritual disciplines. So it's not, I think it's important for us to understand that it's not the church's responsibility to teach our children how to read the word. It's not our church's responsibility to teach our children how to pray. It's not our our church's responsibility to teach our children theology. What you should be doing by bringing your children to this building and being in this place is reinforcing the things that they're learning at home already. So if we're going to spiritually protect our children, we need to make sure that our children understand how to read the Word. That's going to be different for every kid. You know, how I go over things with Reagan is vastly different from how I go over things with Jeremy or Charlotte. However, we start by making sure, I mean, we can start by just the typical teaching them the Bible stories, David and Goliath. Noah and the ark, Moses, Joseph, all those stories. Teach them those things. But I think it's important for us to understand that even in teaching those things, we're giving them an understanding of how to study those things. So if we teach those things in the way of David and Goliath, hey, David conquered his giant, how are you conquering your giant? We've missed the mark of David and Goliath. They may not be able to read that story, but we can teach them that, you know, in the story of David and Goliath, David trusted in God. God is the one that gave him the victory over David. So we need to make sure we're trusting in God. We can pull that out, that that life lesson for them, while still keeping the story of David and Goliath in context. And that is a, a practical way of which they, once they can read the word, they won't try to insert themselves into the stories. They'll understand that this is a historical person at a historical time being used by God in an amazing way. And we can take joy and glory in God in that fact and then come alongside that story and say, okay, so am I taking glory in God? Am I trusting in God in my own life? You can tack on yourself to it, but you're not part of that story. So just how we do these spiritual disciplines with our children growing up and then also into adulthood is important. Are we praying with our children? Is it odd for our kids to see us praying? If you sat down around the dinner table tonight and you're eating food and you say, okay, let's open in prayer, are your kids going to give you just the weirdest look or is that just a common thing? That's teaching them a spiritual discipline. That's protecting them from falling into the failure of not wanting to pray. Coming to church, you already knocking this one off the list but coming to church is it odd for your children to wake up on a Sunday morning and come to church if you've already started instilling that in them you're spiritually protecting them from faltering later on later on they're going to have to take accountability and responsibility for their own actions as they come into adulthood and decide whether or not they're going to start coming to church but if they've seen this pattern all the way through their lives it gives them just kind of a little leg up to getting here another way that we do this we've already discussed this a little bit is worldview training one way that we often kind of falter a little bit in how we raise our children as believers is that instead that we we protect our children from the things going on in the culture and around us. And then once they're out of the home, they just get smacked in the face with it. And that's where we see like the deconstruction things and that's where we see children just going crazy. That's where we see the little pharisaical children running out and just going to every party they can find because they had no idea these things existed. I'm not saying that you should like throw your kids in the deep end and like walk into the deep end with them, but what I'm saying is that there's a great concept, I'm pretty sure it's from Stone Street again, where he calls it inoculation. It's like giving our children shots, right? We give our children just like a little dose of the flu to help them fight off the flu later on. We shouldn't be like throwing them in the deep end and giving them all the information, but whenever we have a show that we're trying to vet, and one of these websites... Fails to catch it, and your kid it clicks in their mind that that just doesn't seem right, and they come to you to talk to you about it. Do you just no 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 just just ignore that? Just you know we'll watch another show, or do you explain to them like well, I mean a great example right now seems like every Disney or Netflix show has some kind of homosexual marriage within it or some kind of homosexual relationship within it. If they get to that point in that show, and Reagan walks up to me and says well that. That mommy and that mommy were married somehow, and I just say, okay, we're just going to watch another show. And I don't address that. I failed Reagan in that moment. I can take it and say, yeah, and, you know, that's how that's how the world views it now. That's not how the Bible tells us it is. And that's not how we're called to live our lives. And you can take them to the word. And you can take them to the gospel. So you're not completely shielding them so once they're out of the house they get smacked in the face with this and have no concept with how to... Digest this in their own minds, but if we give them that little bit and protect them within giving that little bit and give them right understanding of it at the same time, then we're we're spiritually protecting them in a way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I have one funny story. I got time for it. So when Reagan, when we had Jeremy, Jeremy was a little baby. I came home from work. I could tell Jess was a little stressed out with the two older ones, and so I took reagan and reese to walmart we went to walmart let jeremy and, and and mommy hang out at the house so we go into walmart we come back out of walmart literally just went there to walk away or walk around and just do whatever so we're in the van and we're driving out of the parking lot and i hear reagan in the back of the seat back seat very back it says daddy will i always be a girl and in, in, she's little and in, in my mind i'm thinking Okay, what, what did she see in Walmart that made her think of this? <laughs> what is she watching that made her think of this? In my mind, I'm automatically going to that, that LGBTQ mentality of what's going on in the culture. And so, I, I mean, I knocked that answer out of the park. I was like, yes, you're always going to be a girl because that's the way that God made you and God is more wise than us. I went a good two or three minute long spiel. And then I'm driving, I'm proud of myself. I'm driving out of the car and I'm like, that was, that was a great, I'm going to tell Jess about this when I get home. I'm going to get a pat on the back. And I just hear Reagan crying in the back. And so I turn around i was like, Reagan, why are you crying? She goes, so you, you mean I'm never going to be a lady? I was like, wait, are you asking if you're going to be a boy someday or are you asking if you're going to grow up? She's like, Am i going to grow up. I was like, yes, you're going to grow up. So having that worldview training of having that answer but also understanding what your kids are asking is very important. All right, so... She was five. She was five so um, Spiritual dishes worldview... Okay. So that actually kind of sums up Our spiritual protection portion. Does anybody have any questions? Let me clarify anything. Anybody have any comments? Okay, I wanted to go over a little bit here um, on single men and where single men fit into this. Because we're talking a lot about the home, and in our minds, we automatically go to married couple, possible children, things like that. However, we understand that there are people that have been blessed with an ability to be single may not be the desire but it's what the Lord has put them in so it's important for us to also understand where single men fall into this this idea of the home and roles so how do single men practically or practice this vision of manhood single men do not have the role of headship as we see in that, the text that we've gone over however they do bear the responsibility of mirroring what headship is. With a borrowed authority Single men do not have the, that blanket authority over women I'm sorry Single men do have that blanket authority over women With a few exceptions Single men should image headship With a borrowed authority In the sense of service and protection For example Or example of protection Protecting women as sisters By like walking them to the car so they still have that physical strength that is different from women. So for example, if we have a prayer night at the end of a Sunday night and there's a single man sees someone walking to the car. Maybe it's a mom whose husband is not here for the night. Three kid, children, something like that. They're walking out to the car. It's dark out in the parking lot. It is appropriate and it is good for that single man to walk her to the car to make sure she's protected in that You need to have some kind of hedge probably there to make sure that, you know, the reputations are protected within that moment as well. Maybe tell someone you're doing it. Maybe point out that you're about to do it. Maybe walk somebody or have somebody walk with you while you're doing it. But you can mirror that headship through that moment by protecting that mom as she's walking out to the car. Or example of service. We have the, the Christmas tea here almost every year you can serve the tea and food to the ladies at the christmas tea or you can be helping in vbs helping fix things in a time of need or bringing or being active in a small group to help others better understand the word so you don't have that headship as far as the headship within the home but you can still practice these things in a limited way so you can still be in small group and help other men and women understand the word on a deeper level. So you can still use those talents that God has given you. You can still use that spiritual protection aspect of if you're in a small group and you see somebody maybe going down the wrong path of theology, it's going to be a little bit dangerous. You can pull them aside and kind of help coach them through that in a loving way. Um, You can be serving. You can help in VBS, like I said. Any questions on that? So there's not... I want to make this clear. If you're a single man you do not have authority over every woman you see just because you are a man for example if i were single i would not be going to david adams wife to jessica adams and try to correct her behavior i would be going to david to have a discussion with him so that he since he has the headship of his home to do that does that make sense I also think it's very important whenever we're going down this road of single men helping serve things and things like that, that there are hedges and protection around them and whoever they're serving at the same time. Again, so that that reputation isn't slandered, also so that you don't slip up and do something unbiblical as you're trying to serve in a right way. It's just important to make sure that you're protecting yourself, you're protecting whoever you are serving, you're protecting the gospel and the reputation that comes with that. any questions on either of the last two weeks it's been a lot of information it's been probably a little bit burdensome for a lot of men to hear I want to say that this is a high calling it's not a calling that we can abandon it's not a calling that we can just turn our back on something that God has commanded us to do that can feel like a lot because it is a lot because we are sinful We're probably going to be failing in some of these places we're probably going to be not even realize that we're failing in all of these places however that doesn't mean that we just abandon them or we just sulk about it one we can show ourselves a little bit of grace we're sinful we're fallen everything we talked about in both of these classes is happening after Genesis 3 so we can have a little bit of grace in ourselves but we need to make sure that we are striving to just work out our own faith We're working out our own salvation. We're making sure that we're trying to strive to do what the Lord has commanded. And we're also not alone. If you're married, you have your spouse. Spouses, be kind and gentle in how you present failings to your husband, but it's okay to do that. Husbands, if your spouse is telling you what you're failing at, take it in a loving way. Don't get defensive, don't get angry. Realize that If it's being brought to you, it's probably something that is hindering your wife's spiritual growth. Something that they're obviously focused on and thought about a lot. So listen, and then try to work that out. Men to other men in this room, we need to make sure that we're also watching out for each other. We need to make sure that we are in each other's lives. No man in this room is an island. We're not called to be that. So men, if you see another man stumbling or struggling in one of these areas we need to we need to practice that matthew 18 we need to make sure that we're coming alongside them we're helping them if we're gifted in one area that maybe somebody else one of the other men is not gifted in we need to make sure that we're sharing that gift that we're using that gift in the way that we're called to do other men if somebody comes to you says hey man we need to talk about this realize one that it's really hard to do that in the first place so it's not being done just flippantly it's not being done just to show it shouldn't be done just to show that you're better in one way or another than somebody else we're doing this out of love we're doing this out of love for that person doing it out of love for their sphere of influence their homes their children their wives but we need to make sure that we're doing this